This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we'll scour our vinyl collections to bring you great songs by unknown artists and unknown songs by great artists. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan, and you have found the internet's one and only spot for new music. Well, maybe not the one and only, but the best spot for new music. So uh, <laughs> we're excited that you've uh, joined us today, and we're going to get you some uh, some tunes that ho- hopefully you haven't heard before. But first, as always, we like to warm up the brains with a little bit of trivia. So, Joe, do you got any trivia for me this week? I do. So my trivia this week is going to be just some some questions. Um, we can actually answer these now. We don't have to wait until the end. I'm going to ask. Let me see. I okay. think I have almost ten. What I'm doing with my quiz, I am going to name a song. You are going to tell me whether it's the first song on an album or the last song on an album. The artist, the artist wow. and the album. Oh, man. So, okay. That folks. Artist album and whether it's the first song or the last song. Yeah, so for example, if I said absolutely cuckoo, what would you say? That's the first song on the Magnetic Field 69 Love Songs. Perfect. Okay, so I'm going to start off with with an easy one, I hope. Okay. Walk On. It's the first song on on the beach by Neil Young. Definitely. That's it. All right, song two, Red Hot Mama. I think that's the first song on Funkadelic standing on the verge of getting it on. That is it. Okay. Ooh. All right. How about this one? Milk Cow Blues. It's the last song on the Kinks. Kind of Kinks? or No, Kinks Controversy, maybe. It's Kinks Controversy. It's the first song, though. Good, oh, good on. one, though. That's awesome. Okay, Slim, S-L-I-M, Slow, Slider. It's an album you like a lot. I don't know that one. Okay, that one. It's an album I like. Yeah. It's an album I like a lot? I think so. At least you used to. Whew. I can't. I. It must be a. Uh, Irish guy. Like a it's an Irish guy, classic rock, kind of. He wrote this when he was about 21. The whole album. Oh, is it a... Uh, it's not Van Morrison, is it? It is. It's Astral it's Weeks. Not, no, I thought that started with... Um, yeah, you're right. It ends okay. with this. It's the last song on that. Yeah, on I, that I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I should have got that one. All right, next song is 
disorder. That's the first song on Joy Division's, I want to say Unknown Pleasures. You're, you're right. Okay. Whew. All right. Next one, only a few more. Weightless again. Uh, th- that is the first song on Through the Trees by Handsome Family. All right. Kind of a softball for you. All right. Yeah. Fillmore Jive. Ooh. It's a last song, I'm pretty sure. It is. I don't know. It's not coming to me. Give me a hint. One of the members left very early on to form the Silver Jews. Uh, last song on Pavement Slanted and Enchanted? Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Oh, okay, okay. Great. Okay. I don't know all those songs. There's like 30 no. of them on that album. There are a, wow, wow, Wowie Zowie's the one that has a lot of songs. Yeah, yeah. They're hard to remember the titles for me, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a tougher one. I've got two more. Okay, this one let's do is it. Party Up. Oh, gosh. I feel like I should know this one, too. It's got to be a first song. It is I don't a, know if I'm going to. It's a last what song. And this is a dead Minnesotan. Oh, it's Prince. Uh, let's see. That would be Dirty Mind, maybe? It is Dirty Mind. Okay, good. One more. Ready. This one's a really tough one. I think this is the hardest one. It is, it's hard to be a saint in the city. I feel like you're trying to trick me. It's not the Bruce Springsteen version. Because I don't, yeah, it is. Yeah, that is the last, is it the last song or the first song? It's, uh. You got the artist right. What album? East Street Shuffle. Or Greetings from Ashbury Park. Greetings from Ashbury Park. It's Greetings from Asbury Park. Last song. Good job. That was awesome. Okay. Great work. Wow, that was a that was a surprisingly fun quiz. Not not that you know, I was just it it it's kinda hard. You don't put album order a lot of emphasis on it, but uh wow, great quiz. Yeah, we might might pull that one in again at some point. Yeah, we should. We should. It was a lot of fun. I wonder how people at home did. I wonder if they fared any better than I did. I, I feel pretty, I think I probably got about more than half of them. I, so. I think you did better than I would have with the same questions. Okay, well, that's, that's good. All right, so I have an audio quiz for you. And this audio quiz, um, it's five tracks. Now, there's a couple things about it. There is a theme that connects them all. And so I will uh, tell you the theme after you guess all the tracks at the end of the show. The other thing that is especially hard about this quiz is there's no singing in any of the songs. Now, that's not to say that none of the songs don't have lyrics or singing at some point, but the clip I chose does not have any, any lyrics. So you got to go right, out, right go with the music only. So we'll go ahead and start you off. And here is track one. Track two. Here is track three. Track four.
final track. All right, and so we are back, and uh, I I don't think I'm going to give any hints on that just yet. I'll see how you do on it, and then okay. if you need some help at the end, I'll, I'll help you all out. So it is time for the uh, in-depth research part of our uh, podcast, and it's uh, Joe's turn, so it's let's hear some turntable talk. Everybody is talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind People stop and staring I can't see the faces Only the shadows of their eyes Okay, so my topic today is actually all about one song. And I think... Though it's not my favorite song of all time, I think it may be one of the most important songs in the history of rock and roll. Uh, it is easily the most covered song in the history of rock and roll. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and not tell you right away what it is, and I'll, I'll see if you can figure it out after, after a little bit. So, okay. <laughs> the story of this song starts in St. Louis in 1895. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, St. Louis was the fourth largest city in the country, big place for this country. And on Christmas night of that year, two guys are in a bar and they're having what seems to be a nice political discussion. One of the guys has come from another bar, a bar known for being a Republican bar. And the main guy that we're going to be talking about is in the bar that he works at. And he also is sort of a, uh, he runs kind of a pimp gambling establishment in the back secretly, but he's also a fundraiser for the Democrats. Now, again, based on all the accounts, this seemed to be a very friendly discussion, but eventually it turned into an argument. And the guy who came over from the Republican bar, actually the, the main guy first, grabbed the Republican guy's hat. It was a bowler and he crushed it up and threw it to the ground. The other guy then grabbed the main guy's hat, which was a Stetson, and the guy demanded it back. The first guy pulled a knife. The second guy pulled a gun. The guy with the gun shot the first guy. He fell to the ground. And the guy just very calmly, with the gun, calmly walked out. Well, grabbed his hat first. Walked out, went back to his house, and went to bed. The guy on the floor died. <laughs> the man who did the shooting is named Lee Shelton. The guy who died is Billy Lyons. The song that was then written about them is Stagger Lee. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool story. Now, it's strange that this one shooting in St. Louis that night was actually the one that took off nationwide because it was only one of five shootings that night, one of five murders that night. <laughs> so Shelton, the guy who turns into Stagger Lee in all the stories, he gets arrested the next morning. He goes to jail. Um, he then... Gets, um, he's sentenced for 25 years. He gets paroled in 1909 by the governor. But in 1911, he breaks into some guy's house and he pistol whips him until he dies. And so he goes back to jail. At the end of 1911, he's pardoned again because he has tuberculosis, but he never gets out. He dies in the infirmary. And that's in 1912. 
the song is already a hit. Like in 1903, there's already there are already people talking about this song. It's very very popular. And you said it was 1895 when the incident happened. 1895, it happened. He died in 1912. Wow. So those are the basic facts of Staggerly. Those are that's what really happened. There are all kinds of other stories, obviously, where the songs take off and they're about two guys playing cards and they get in an argument. Some of them talk about them being pimps, and that may be true. There's some basis for that, but not much. In 1910, we get the first transcript. John Lomax gets a transcript of the song. So he's the first one to see it there, but there aren't any recordings until a little bit later on. That story alone is not exactly what created the Staggerly song. There was also another song that was from before 1893 that was going around kind of this body raunchy song that was being sung in brothels called The Bully of the Town. Okay. And it was about this this black guy who would go up and down the, the Mississippi River, get off, and he would just beat up all the locals and then get back on the boat and go from there. And it was, it was a, a song where he was sort of a hero, kind of a folk hero. Anyway, there was the combination of those two stories that created this Staggerly character. The first known recording doesn't happen until 1923, but there are many, many versions recorded in the 20s. There's Ma Rainey, Duke Ellington, um, and the big one is Mississippi John Hurt. That's kind of the, the pinnacle, what everybody considers generally the best version, the definitive version. But his is not about Staggerly being a folk hero. It's more of a cautionary tale. What do you... Woody Guthrie then released a version basically the same as Mississippi John Hurt's in about 1931. And then during the 30s and 40s, there were all kinds of recordings, but they were all recorded by John and Alan Lomax. So all these field songs and prison songs. And then during that same time, in prisons mostly, there were, and some bars, there were these versions of songs called toasts, T-O-A-S-T-S. These were the incredibly dirty songs. They're just they cannot be recorded at the time. They're just awful um, because of how how much swearing there is and how much violence is. There is a book that captures at least one of these, and it was written by by a guy named Big Stick. That's the guy who actually they got the transcript from. The book is called Life, the Lore and Folk Poetry of the Black Hustler. Huh. And and one of and the version of this book or a copy of this book found its way into Nick Cave's hands in 1996. And he recorded almost verbatim Stagger Lee. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, because his version is pretty raunchy. It's almost exactly the same. Even down to fellatio, anal sex, all of that is in this song. Wow. He changes a, just a few words, but that's it. It was crazy. I had no idea that that happened. I thought he did all of that. Even the name of, even the, name of the bar, that the bucket of blood was in that first line of the big stick version. And the Bucket of Blood was a real bar. It just happened to be down the street from where all of this really happened. The song still mostly played up to that time in fields, prisons. Um, there were a few minor hits, like I mentioned, and, and one by a guy named Archibald in the 40s. But it didn't get big until Lloyd Price recovered it in 1958, and it went up to be a number one hit. And it was uh, originally released as a B-side, but the, the DJs wanted to only play that song. They loved it. So it got to be number one, and he had to go on, or he was asked to go on American Bandstand. Wow. But the song, as you know, ends in violence. It's murder. Uh, the guy gets away with it. And Dick Clark didn't like that ending. So he asked Lloyd <laughs> Price to change it. So on the American Bandstand version, it's two buddies. They get into an argument. 
they make up and they remain best friends. No. Yeah, kind of a different different take on that song. So as of today, there are over 400 recorded versions. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, now, is it, is, yeah. is it some kind – have I seen it as Stackoli as well? Yeah, it's got a lot of different versions. Staggerly, Stackoli, um, Stagoli. There's – there are probably six different ways to to write out that that name. Mm-hmm. The story too is totally changed. Obviously, as we we talked about the Nick Cave one, it's completely different, and it's taken on so many different versions. Um, and that all started like in 1903. There was a guy who started writing about Stagger Lee getting killed, getting hanged, and then going down to hill hell and taking over hell from the devil, kicking him out of his throne and taking it over and turning it into a party place. So. <laughs> It's pretty. It's pretty great. There are country versions uh, like Bob Dylan's, which was actually a cover, almost identical of a, a version from the 20s. There's a lot of, in this song, and I think everybody has heard at least one cover of it. The ones that I that I think I like, and I think you probably do too, the most, the Clash is wrong on Boyo is Staggerly. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a cover of a of a reggae song by a band called The Rulers. Ike and Tina Turner have a, have a version. They actually have two versions. One of them takes place in the 70s in a go-go bar in L.A. Wow. Cool. And then Beck, because we mentioned him last time, he does a, a version of the John Hurt one, uh, which is nearly identical. And then it, he also give, gave an in, interview at some point saying that Stagger Lee was the inspiration for Devil's Haircut. It was hmm. partially about what would happen if Stagger Lee came back today. At least that's what he claims. There are a couple books, a website, there's a graphic novel. There's so much written about this guy, and I am fascinated. It's not one of my favorite songs. None of the I like a lot of the versions, but I don't go out of my way to listen to it much. But the story itself about how it came to be and that it's recorded so many times, and Stagger Lee became important even in the Civil Rights Movement as, as an angry black man fighting against establishment and the whites in power it's it's incredible i think the the story itself what i was thinking is that it's it's amazing how songs can get changed and repurposed for whoever's singing it or whatever at times it's in you know and and i think with blues music especially there there was always that that kind of history of being able to appropriate a song you know for your current need your your situation as it were and i think that's a the song you talk about stagger lee is a great example of how that can transcend time and go on for many many years apparently yeah it's an amazing it's an amazing story it's a great song Um, a lot of the versions are the disco version by uh neil sadaka pretty bad but (laughs) there there are a lot of really good versions so what, what if you had to say the definitive version, your favorite version, and the worst version you've heard, what would you go okay. with? Definitive version, I really do think it's the Mississippi John Hurt. His guitar playing is great. His story is really good. It's sad. The lyrics are great. The My favorite version is Nick Cave. And I think the worst version is that disco version I just mentioned. It's terrible. Uh, there, are, there, there are about... I can't think of very many genres that don't have a version. There isn't yet a polka version or a rap version for some reason. I thought a rap version should probably exist. Yeah, that but, makes sense. Uh, but there, there isn't one that I found. But the disco one is terrible. So my next question for you is, who, which artist, I'll say dead or alive, 
that didn't record the track would have done an amazing version of it, in your opinion? I really think that Tom Waits could have done a really good version, but probably in the early 90s. Okay, that's early 90s Tom Waits? Yep, that's when his voice was, I think, really right for that. Yeah, that's a good answer. Tom Waits came to mind when I was thinking of this question I just made up, too, and how I would answer it. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was... uh, that's really cool. That was a that was a fun turntable talk. I'll post links to all the vid- a bunch of the videos I found. Uh, they're really good. A lot of the versions are are great. I'll post links to the the books and where you can get them or where you can read them. Really worth it. I read two books this last week on it, and they were they were impressive. And so, if there's one thing you've learned from this uh, highway hi-fi episode, is don't make fun of a man's Stetson hat. So let's go ahead and start talking about some songs. And I'm going to kick it off today. This is a song that um, is very well known, but you may not know this version. So I'm going to go ahead and play it before I talk about it. And when we come back after you guys have listened to it, we'll, uh, we'll chat about it. Yeah. 
All right, so that was Jocko Homo by the band Devo. And that is not the standard version. That is what is called the sad version. And it was recorded live at the Palace in December of 1988. And it's found on a record called Now It Can Be Told, which is a, a live record of the whole show. And so that came out, the, the Now It Can Be Told record came out on Enigma Records in 1989. This is a very, very different rendition of Jocko Homo than the uh, original which is a classic and maybe the, I would say maybe the definitive Devo song, and that's on their uh, debut, Are We Not Men, We Are Devo. So this is, uh, they're a little, Devo's a little bit past their creative prime. They're kind of in a, what you could call a slump, I guess. And they this was supposed to be like a comeback tour. It was promoting an album that would come out, or did come out that year called Total Devo, which is um, no classic. Um, I think safe to say. And so they would start some shows off with uh, an acoustic set, kind of like a Devo Unplugged or whatever. And so this is the first song in the whole show. They come out and um, they've all got acoustic guitars and they uh, do that kind of countryfied version of Jocko Homo. It's it's uh, pretty fantastic. And, and you can see a YouTube of the actual performance and they're dressed in all red, and red. They're dressed in all red, and there's no energy domes. And so it's a, it's a very interesting take. And I, I just kind of, kind of love that song. You know, Devo is always great at being so weird. And I think sometimes, you know, when they got that, that little bit of self-reflection probably helped them out quite a bit. Yeah, that's not a version I had, I had actually heard. I wasn't familiar with that one. I- just don't think I paid much attention to them at that point, but I really like that. Was oh, that yeah. was that live album an official release? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Um, it was Enigma Records, and so I don't think that was their. Oh, okay. That makes main sense. Record company. It, it's not. I mean, it's not. It's not a bootleg. I mean, it, you know, I think you can. I think it was a legitimate release, and it got reissued recently. I don't have an original 1989 version, and the album it, itself is is just okay. I mean, it's it's good. It's Devo live. They play a lot of their classic songs that was supposed to be like a comeback. But really, the standout track is, is that one, in my opinion. The best part about the, um, the record, it says somewhere on it, like, it's got more than an hour of uncensored sonic proof, and the running time is like 60 minutes and one second. So... Okay. So... I always find it a little disappointing when... The first song on the album is the best one, but it's it's a great song. Yeah, yeah, it's not something I can wholeheartedly recommend. Like, this is a you you need this Devo album, but the song itself is, is for me is just just amazing. And you know, it's a the normal song is a great song. It was from a uh, 1924 anti-evolution pamphlet and by uh, by this guy B. H. Shattuck where he talks about uh, Jocko Homo meaning ape man and and some of the religious uh, religious talk on that we didn't, you know, anti-evolution type stuff. We didn't come up and, and come up from apes and the stuff that they talk about in the song. So it's, um, there's not a lot, I, mean, I couldn't find any interviews where they talk about why they did it. It just seemed like they wanted to do something different and, and, uh, and it's got, it's, 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 it's very weird because it kind of starts with that country feel. And then it kind of has a, like a weird reggae break, and then comes back to the 
to the uh, running dirt, 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 and finishes with that. So I didn't um, at first. At first, I had no idea who it was until the singing started and the lyrics started. Uh, but I had no idea at first. No, you wouldn't know it's Devo. It's not not a normal Devo type song, but uh, definitely one that's worth hearing if you're a Devo fan or just somebody who's interested in that weird kind of music. So that is uh, that's my first song. Very good. Okay, my my first song is actually uh, someone who has covered Stagger Lee. It just kind of was on my mind, so I did it. The guy's name is Titus Turner. The song is called Big John, and I'm going to go ahead and play it right now. Okay, so that was Titus Turner with a song called Big John. It's off of Wing Records, was released in 1955. It's a big song. I think it kind of ties in a little bit with Stagger Lee because not only did Titus Turner record a version of Stagger Lee, but the song itself is kind of about this big guy. Um, and I think he may have just kind of taken that idea from Stagger Lee. So that is it. There's a couple things about the song. Um, he had a hit with a song called Sort of. He never never really had any big hits. He wrote a song called All Around the World, which was later changed uh, by a guy named Little Milton to a song called Grits Ain't Groceries, and that was a kind of a minor hit for him. He, 
He released a ton of singles on a lot of different labels, never had never had much going on, though Ray Charles had a big hit for him with a song of his called Sticks and Stones. And one one other tie-in, not not technically to Stagger Lee, but to Nick Cave, is that the very last album, uh, the very last song that Titus Turner recorded before he died was a song he wrote called His Funeral, My Trial in 1969. Oh, all right. Yeah. So there we go. That's my uh, tie-ins for the day, I think. It was His Funeral, My Trial? That's a, Yeah, exactly. That's a good name for a song. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's great. I'm sure that Nick Cave listened to it, I would assume. Yeah, you would guess so, yeah. So, my next song is, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this on now. I think everybody out there is probably going to recognize the song itself. So I'm going to go ahead and play it. I, I assume not very many people recognize who is doing it, though she is pretty well known. Okay, here we go. So that was obviously Hurdy Gurdy Man, the Donovan song. It's kind of this psychedelic song uh, version from 1972 by Eartha Kitt, who uh, recorded this as a B-side to another Donovan song called Catch the Wind. So it's on Spark Records out of Germany, just a seven-inch single. There are the, the things that Eartha Kitt is known for, obviously, I mentioned the torch singing, but she's also mostly known for jazz standard covers. Uh, and more to me is as one of the cat women. She was the last Catwoman on the show. Uh, the, yeah. the 
<laughs> so that's how I knew her. I forgot about that, but I did know that somewhere. Yeah, I heard that. She also was this incredibly outspoken gay rights activist and anti-war activist, and she was had a meeting one time with Lady Bird Johnson, First Lady, and she made her cry, um, which is awesome. <laughs> by by complaining what about is- by complaining about troops going to Vietnam, it's great. Oh my gosh. Is there, I mean, how did you find that out? It's pretty well known. There are a lot of biographies about her, but actually that was, that was actually on the Wikipedia page. So it may not be true, but I found it elsewhere. I found it elsewhere too. Uh, It was, it's a good thing to know, I think. And there's actually, there's one really pathetic tie into Staggerly on this one too. Eartha Kitt died on Christmas day, just like Billy Lyons. Though less, though less violently. She didn't get get killed in a bar fight because of her st- uh, making fun of somebody Stetson. No, she did not. She uh, died sort of sad cancer, but she she lived a great life. Hurdy Gurdy Man is such a cool song, anyways. I mean, the Donovan version's just weird and and unsettling, and they used it for that. I want to say the Zodiac Killer movie. Yeah, and it was just perfect for that. Do you know who the backup band was? For Donovan's Hurdy Gurdy, the version of Hurdy Gurdy Man? I don't know. Um, Let's see. Let me guess. It wasn't the band, was it? It was not. The Turtles? Uh, No, it was an early... It was basically Led Zeppelin, I believe. Uh, It was Jimmy Page, Page, John Bonham, and John Paul Jones. Really? Yeah. Was it like kind of in between the Yardbirds and Zeppelin, or was it... I guess it was before that. Yeah, it was uh, 68, so the Yardbirds, so one of their incarnations probably with Jimmy, the Jimmy Page Yardbirds, I'm, I'm assuming. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. that it <laughs> makes a lot of sense now. Okay. Wow. Very those, cool. are, those are my songs. Let's play your last one now. What, what do you got? Yeah. I doubt many people out there will know this, um, which I guess is the whole point, but um, this band is called The Stroke Band, and I'm going to go ahead and let the artist tell you what the name of the song is. Name of this tune is Don't Get Angry. So don't get angry 
Don't let your temper control your mind. Don't let your verbalize change your friend's mind. When you get angry, put your head between your knees and count to ten. And try to again, and try it again. Oh, try it again. And so that was the Stroke Band with the song uh, Don't Get Angry. And that's off their uh, album Green and Yellow, which uh, was originally put out on Abacus Records in 78. It has recently been reissued by Anthology Records. It's a bizarre art punk band from my, my neck of the woods, Valdosta, Georgia. It's just a, a, a weird, weird kind of story. And I think it's just a great, great song. The whole album's really cool. It's kind of like a art punk surf type feel and so let me tell you a little bit of background of the story the main guy uh his name is bruce joiner and you may recognize him because he went on to uh start a band called the unknowns and has got some acclaimed solo records and stuff like that but bruce joiner was a, a school teacher in the mid 70s and um he was married to this no good woman in a trailer park and he's out partying with his friends one night and gets paralyzed uh, in a car accident. So he takes the insurance money and buys all the equipment that he might need for like a band. And he calls up his buddies and they start this band called the Stroke Band. And it's basically a, a lo-fi recording that they record with this guy, uh, Robert Lester Folsom, who was another kind of local Valdosta guy in the 70s who was recording his own records, which also was re-released by Mex Mexican Summer recently. But they, So they make this weird lo-fi new wave record, and they get sort of, they put it out on, on Anthology Record, which is basically Robert Lester Folsom's private press, and they don't get many gigs, but they still kind of make a little bit of a local following. So they released this single, which surprisingly does decently well in Valdosta, and the single was Don't Get Angry. Now, Valdosta, Georgia is like backcountry. It is not close to Atlanta. It is deep south, deep deep in the heart of Georgia. It's, it's, it, is a, it is not a forward-thinking place, but this weird art punk band kind of gets traction. So... The wife, which I mentioned earlier, is the no-good trifling wife, which is what Bruce Joyner described her as, apparently gets involved with a cop. So Bruce Joyner has all these underage girls who come to his house, and he hangs out with them, and he starts, he does a lot of drugs and alcohol. And so the wife kind of tells on it, the husband to the, to the cop that she's involved with, and basically he is run out of town. They say, you need to leave Valdosta, which... Sounds crazy, like the Old West, but I could totally see that <laughs> with Valdosta. And so he, he packs up his car and goes to California. And then he's, he ends up signing a record deal with a major label, um, Sire, and they release The Unknowns, which is another awesome band. And so Bruce Joyner has this great story, and he leaves behind this bizarre album. Like I said, it's kind of 
art punk and surf punk and new wave all at once. But the other members of the band went on to, to some fame too. The guitarist for the Stroke Band was Don Fleming. You may know as he's the archivist for Lou Reed. He's got all Lou Reed's tapes and papers and stuff. But he also produced albums for Sonic Youth, Teenage Fan Club, Hole, Screaming Trees, Andrew W.K. And he had two of his own bands, the Velvet Monkeys and the Gumball. And Gumball, I guess. And the other guitarist, after Don Fleming left, uh, who is the, for the guitarist of the Stroke Band, The Unknowns, and I've met this guy, he's a great guy. Uh, he has a recording studio in town. His name is Mark Neal. And he's won a Grammy for, uh, he uh, produced the Black Keys Brothers album. And he's a really cool guy. Um, and like I said, he still records lots of musicians, has his own, um, I think it's called Soil of the South Recording Studio down in Valdosta. And of course, Robert Lester Folsom is kind of a local local music talent too he's had a couple albums that got re-released by mexican summer and he's got he's really cool so all these four people you know plus a few other guys from valdosta create this crazy one-off record on a private press and then they go off and have pretty successful careers in the music industry and i think if you listen to the song you can kind of tell why it's it is a unique sounding song it's it's hard to pin down it's kind of got (laughs) it's kind of got a reggae feel but uh it's I don't know. I don't really know how to describe the song, but I really, um, on, on both sides of the single, he says, the name of this song is, and then plays the song, which is kind of their thing. So, anyways, um, do they a cool band. Go ahead. Do they do that for every song? No, just okay. the two songs that were the A and B side of the single. Okay. I don't know if it was something they did in their live, but, and like I said, Bruce Joyner, if you see him play, I mean, he plays sits down. He, I think he doesn't have use of his legs. And so, but he looks like a madman when he sings. He's crazy looking. And so I imagine these shows were great. And I don't think they got many gigs. I think they played a few strip joints. <laughs> so it's 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 definitely both both the, the Stroke Band and the Unknowns are worth looking into if you haven't heard any of their stuff. And I am fortunate enough to have an original copy, mostly because m- my friend who owns a record shop knew I was looking for a copy and I was just looking for the reissue and a an original came in and she saved it for me and it's one of my prized records. I'm sure it's probably one of the most valuable records in my collection too. It's they're very rare. So that's fantastic. Um, uh, we should yeah, we'll, yeah. to thank her we'll put a link up to uh, that record store's website. Yeah, absolutely. And she's she's the one who in, you know kind of introduced me and they're they're pretty well known where I'm from with the you know 10 of us who really really like music and records. But I don't know how much. I mean, obviously they're they're getting put out by by one of those labels that specializes in reissuing great old music. So some somebody took notice. Yeah, if you got a Grammy winning producer and a guy who produced Sonic Youth and the Lou Reed archivist and another guy who recorded for Sire Records and they all came out of this small Valdosta in the seventies, it's it's pretty cool. That's great. I like that song a lot. Thank you. Uh, I I think you've played it for me one other time, but. It's, I, 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 I might have put out, yeah, I might have put on a mix or something, but it's a really cool song. Yeah. So, well, I guess that's it for music, but we have one piece of unfinished business, which yeah. of course is the audio quiz that I played earlier. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and play all the songs one more time for y'all, and let's see how many Joe and all you out there in podcast land can get. All right, here we go. Song number one. Song number two. 
Song three, I hope you get this one. Song number four. Song number five. All right, Joe, how did you do? Okay. Five songs. So I would like to actually stray a little from how we normally do this. Okay. I know. T- I think I know two of them, both song okay. and artist. But okay. to kind of uh, get this down, to, to see if I can get a couple more, I would like to guess the theme first. Okay, okay. go ahead. Is it, and this is based on tracks, the second one and the third one, is it that oh. these albums end in a locked groove? Absolutely. Okay. That is the correct answer. All these albums end in a locked groove okay what's a what's a locked groove for those who might not know what that so, is and this is uh especially cruel if you're if you're song number true uh, number two if you're listening to that album um the <laughs> the needle when it reaches the end towards the dead wax it just stops um it keeps just sort of spinning there and does not go back to the beginning if you have an auto um an auto return it won't go back it just keeps it just sticks there that's exactly right. So basically, you have to manually go and lift up the needle to turn off the record. Yes. It doesn't have the automatic thing where it goes and starts over. So it goes on, in theory, forever. Okay. Okay. So what do you got as far as songs? The first one, do you know the first one? Okay. I'm going to start with number two and three because I think I know those. And then I'm going to try okay, go ahead. Try go for ahead. a couple more. I think I've got a couple other bands, but I don't think I have the songs. The track, track number three, Day in the Life by the Beatles. Yes, very, very good. Track number two is Lou Reed with Metal Machine Music. I do not know which specific part of Metal Machine Music because it's all... You don't know which track? I doesn't count. I'm not giving you... Okay. It was number four. It was four. I was going to say one, two, three, or four. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, they're also, you know, they can be a little hard to tell apart, really. Okay. So on those two, I bet. I got at least one artist, two songs there. I think, I think track number five might be Sonic Youth, but I have no idea, and that's just a guess. It is. Okay. It is. You're right. It's Sonic Youth Expressway to Your Skull, which the, is the last song off Evolve. Okay. Um, and that does have. It's one of. It's marked. The time is marked infinity, which several of these are marked infinity. In fact, that oh, may help funny. you with. That may help you with one of the other albums. Okay. Track number four, I have no idea. Track number one might be, based on a clue you gave me um, off camera, was, I think it's Jack White. It is. It's Jack White, Lazaretto. Okay. I I think I mentioned that you were with me when I bought it, because I actually bought it at Third Man when we were in Nashville (laughs) together. Yeah, I think so. And that, um, I would have gotten the album, because I I don't think he does that on the other ones, but I would not have gotten the, uh, the track, I don't think, without looking, and that would be cheap. Yeah, uh, it was Lazaretto. It was the track was Lazaretto. Just to be clear, too, off the album Lazaretto, and he—that's one of the, the his. He called the Ultra LP, yeah. which has got a bunch of real gimmicky stuff, which is cool. I mean, don't get me wrong, but one of the gimmicks is it goes from the out, out. The, it goes from the inside of the record out, 
And so the lock groove is on the outer ring of that song. Or not that song, but that album. I love it. Yeah. And then on the flip side, it goes in to out. There's all sorts of things. We could probably have a whole conversation about that record alone. Yeah. I think he's amazing. I love all the all the silly stuff he does with records. I think it's awesome. He's opening okay. up a, a record plant, too. Did you hear that? No. Is that going to be in Nashville or Detroit? I think Detroit is okay. where it was going to be. But that's a big deal because vinyl plants get real backed up. Yeah. Especially for for uh, record store day, really. Yeah. It messes them up. Okay, and the, and the fourth song, the only song we haven't discussed, and I don't know how well you know this one, it is Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Okay. And it is an EP called F Sharp, A Sharp, Infinity. Okay. I the have name of the song is Dead, Dead Flag Blues. I have that one. I Yeah, I thought you did. I thought you might have all of these. So all those records, um, at least the the primary pressing or the one of the one of the significant pressings have some sort of lock groove at the end. So that's why we pick those. There's several other songs and albums that end in lock grooves, but I tried to pick five that are a cool and B we might know. So good job with the quiz, Joe. I am impressed you got the theme. Thanks. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Do you have a list of a few of them? Not that, you, not that we need to go into this. It's just very the interesting. Damned the love song single. I almost put that one on. That ended in a um, in a lock groove. There was a uh, James Gang, and I don't remember which one it was. It, uh, the first side ends with a lock groove that goes, turn me over, turn me over, turn me over. And the second side ends with a lock groove that says, play me again, play me again, <laughs> play me again. There's there's a lot of other other stuff. Uh, definitely, uh, one thing I've been thinking about doing a turntable talk on is the whole groove process, because there's all sorts of crazy things you can do with how the grooves work and lock grooves and stuff like that. There's records that have like hundred different songs on one side, depending on where you put the, put the needle, just stuff like that. So it's, it's a really cool thing, especially for vinyl collectors because it's something CDs could never duplicate. If any of you have gone back and listened to the first episode or listened to that first, we talked about this with our first turntable talk just briefly when we talked about highway high five. So, I, yeah, we should do another one focusing just on that. And yeah, there's so many interesting things about micro grooves and just everything about about how things are made and what the grooves are like and, and how they work. Absolutely. So, well, I think that pretty much uh, wraps us up. As always, we like to say, please go out and support music, whether it's your local record shop or a band. Go see a band or buy a record from them. Uh, you know, we, we always want to promote spending money on people who make the music and get us the music that we love. And if you're ever near uh, Valdosta, Georgia, go, or in or near there, go to Red Door Records. Absolutely. I'm wearing their shirt right now. It's it's one of my favorite places. I was able to pick up a Butthole Surfers and an Incredible String Band record uh, just a couple days ago, which is great. You know, two pretty different bands, but really and cool records. Fantastic. Yep. And I appreciate I appreciate you wearing a, wearing a shirt. I know it's really hot down in Valdosta. Yeah, yeah. If I, I'd be, I'm halfway there, you know. Party in the bottom, business up top. <laughs> well, thank everybody who's listening, uh, and we'll be coming back with the next show where we'll bring you four more songs. All right, we'll see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.